Welcome to the Architect of Change Show with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman & Associates. Now here's Connie. Hi, I'm Connie Whitman, your host, and you're listening to Architect of Change on webtalkradio.net. So happy you're able to join me this week. My motivational quote today is by William James, and it says, Belief creates the actual fact. Did you know that many of our core beliefs and how we end up responding to the world come from deep inside of us, actually at our cellular level? What does that even mean, right? Well, to make things even more complicated for us, again, when we talk about our belief system, it's also been proven that we have beliefs in place, they could be positive or negative beliefs, that may have been handed down from past generations through our DNA. This is such a vital topic to explore and investigate, I think, because it can help us all navigate and change our paradigm of thinking to create more positive and hopefully empowering our lives and ourselves, and this can happen as soon as today. So let me tell you about my guest. Today my guest is Kate O'Connell, and we're going to discuss her new book, Beyond the Imprint. Kate is actually a child and family therapist with a private practice in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, she addresses the therapeutic needs of children, adolescents, adults, and families. The goal of Kate, Kate's groundbreaking book is for I think it's to help uh, therapists to facilitate safe therapeutic experiences, one in which the client is able to explore, identify, and dissolve imprinting, again, at that cellular, cellular level. Kate helps us explore how quantum physics helps us understand that we can change what is outside of us by simply changing ourselves. So you see how cool this topic is, and I'm just really excited to explore it today with my wonderful guest, Kate. So, Kate, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Connie. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I, I, you know, before we started, I, I said to you, I'm excited about this topic, and, and again, your book, which is a great, uh, a great read also, but the topic is important because we all need help. I think we live in such a, just an angry, aggressive society, and I don't think we always know where our beliefs are coming from or how we respond, so I think this is important. Yes, it is very important because the whole central thesis of this modality helps us understand that our reactivity in the moment to whatever stimulus is happening in our environment is uh, coming from very deep imprinting at a time when we were much younger and feeling overwhelmed. That's right, because I think sometimes our responses are, are, are almost childlike because that's when we learned the response, right? Correct. It's at yeah. a time when when we didn't have a sense of control over what was happening to us and it would have been extremely overwhelming because our brains were in the early stages of development and so we weren't able to process these events that were occurring and so at that moment the experience becomes flash frozen in time in the frequency of fear and it's encoded in the 50 trillion cells of our body so when we get older and we're having experiences that can be as uh, sort of simple as uh, someone cutting us off in traffic, the tendency for individuals to become reactive, extremely reactive, is because their sense of safety is being compromised in a way that was occurring at a much younger age. 
You know, it's funny. I have, I happen to have two, well, actually an 18-year-old and a 21-year-old. I have two boys. And sometimes they do stuff, Kate, Kate and I'm I, I like, why would you think that or do that? And, and it's so funny because you get caught up in, because I know better. How do they not know better, right? That whole um, kind of mental process. And sometimes my husband, who's maybe more removed than my emotional, why did they do that? He'll say to me, you know, they're 18 and 21. They're not 56. Like you have a whole right. lifetime of experience. They, how would they know that? And you go, oh, yeah, that's true. So I, I, what you're saying is we're harboring these beliefs from as little as you know one year old or five years old or four years old so um, it's a child's mentality sometimes in how we respond how how did you end up creating this whole new modality in the in your mental in the field of mental health counseling it's kind of cool so it was um, it was a pretty dynamic and organic process in which over time and working in the field uh, starting out doing intensive in-home services with the most vulnerable and underserved populations, just noticing what was and wasn't uh, working, what, what interventions weren't particularly effective, and making notes of those. And then when I got into private practice, just continued to listen to what my clients were bringing in in their own narratives about what their interactions in the field of mental health counseling had been. Mm. And they kept showing patterns of what wasn't being effective. So I understood that to allow the client to come in and continue to engage in their narrative that usually had um, aspects consistently of them being seen, seeing themselves as victims and experiences in which whatever was outside of them as an individual or a situation was beyond their control and also responsible for them not having the experience that they desired. So more and more research and more and more experience helped me understand that we needed to focus primarily on the individual and helping the individual understand that they in fact um, are able to determine their own experience. They've created the experience that they're having that they don't desire. Therefore, they can recreate it and have a very different experience. So it's almost like they get caught in their own life loop. Yes, it is a loop. It's a very unconscious loop, and it's coming from the need to defend ourselves. That, again, going back to very early childhood and experiences that would have been stressful and overwhelming, this is how we learned that we needed to defend ourselves in order to survive. Hmm. So people are not aware that as they live lives in which they're overextended and that they are, are somewhat stressful in terms of the demands that are being made on them, that they're coming from this chronically guarded place in which they have to keep defending themselves and looking outside of themselves for the reason as to why they're not having the experience that they desire. So their expectation is that something outside of them has to show up differently in order for them to be okay, and we completely turn that upside down with this modality. Yeah, and it's interesting in your book you address that when we go to therapy or traditional therapy, you know, you sit there and you tell your story over and over again. Right, and when we tell our stories over and over again, it actually reinforces the imprint because we're reinforcing our perceptions that we are actually the victims and aren't able to affect a different experience for ourselves. Yeah, and it, it, it's kind of, it's sad that, 
you know, we, we, and here's the thing, we all get into these loops, these, whatever these limiting beliefs or negative beliefs are because they're so deep rooted again at the cellular level. So now when we talk about beyond the imprint, right, the, the, the BTI therapy, what are some of the central themes that you see? Well, one of the first pieces that we talk about is, and I would mention to the listeners that if there was just one chapter that they chose to read in the book, it would be the one on the dualistic paradigm. So that's, that's where we start to understand how we've been conditioned. That's where we start to understand that from the moment that we're conceived, we start to take in at a very deep level that we are separate and apart from anything that is outside of us. And then it's reinforced through all sorts of beliefs within that paradigm of thinking, which everybody is participating in, in, in which, you know, we, we're either good or bad or we're doing something right or wrong. And, and the duality of which we're conditioned by creates inherent splits within us. Hmm. And that has to do with the understanding that aspects of us are in opposition to other aspects of us. And these splits are informing our self-judgments and limiting beliefs about ourselves and then when we don't want to really be able to connect, and which was very difficult to do with the fact that this is what we believe about ourselves, uh, then we project all of that on, out into the environment onto other people and situations. So that's a real central thesis of this modality. And then, you know, the other major pieces is just understanding that all of this what we believe is being encoded in the 50 trillion cells of our body and it sets us up for all of our beliefs, all of our behaviors and all of our relationship dynamics. So working with this modality is about learning what it is that's informing all of the experiences that you actually don't want to experience and then discovering that you actually have the ability to change that and to have a very different experience. And you know what, you know what's scary, Kate, is that what you just said, it's like, yeah, right, I'm in control of my thoughts, it's me, nobody else is, you know, speaking in my right. ear, unless, unless you really do hear voices, right, which is another whole topic, but I truly <laughs> am, which I'm, I, I mean, I know that does happen out there too, but, you know, I am in control of me, that's pretty much all I really can control, right, or my thoughts, but the, the sad thing is understanding that is like, okay, that makes sense, but then executing, like you said, that duality of the paradigm and shifting our actual paradigm of thinking is really, really hard. And I think the, the other problem that I think I know I face, and I'm sure the listeners and, and you probably even face, even with all of your knowledge and expertise, is that we get so caught up in our life that to sit and think and self-reflect and look at our how what, where did that belief come from why did I respond that way we really don't take the time to do it so again understanding and executing are two really different things right exactly and you do have to create enough space in your life to be able to give yourself these opportunities to self-reflect and to actually support yourself to support the physical body to do to engage in healing modalities one of one of the other major themes we work on in here is the understanding that self-care is a reflection of self-love so if you want to dissolve the beliefs that you're holding at the cellular level that you're not enough and that um and that somehow you've done awful things or you've made poor choices or any other narrative that comes out of the belief that you're not enough 
is you want to start learning how to take care of yourself because when you make yourself a priority and you start to care for yourself in ways that are very loving and very kind in order to support the physical body so that you actually have the capacity to show up to your fullest potential, everything begins to change at that point. People are afraid to do that, though, because they think they're going to be viewed as selfish. Correct, and that's also part of the a part of the paradigm in in the dual duality of how we've been conditioned is we've we've been taught that we do not matter as much as the other, and that when we make ourselves the priority that we in fact are being selfish. But if you think about it for more than five seconds, it makes perfect sense as a mother, as a wife, as a caregiver. You, your capacity to care for others is always going to be determined by your capacity to care for yourself. And if you don't have the energy, then you're going to be limited in your capacity to show up for others. So being a healing agent and being a, a healing um, uh, experience for other people is always going to be determined by your own capacity uh, to be healing for yourself. Always, yeah. without exception. And, and Kate, I bet you see it all the time. If if I'm a caregiver for an ailing child or an ailing spouse, um, you know, especially as we age, the caregiver is usually in much worse shape than the person being cared for. And again, it Correct. goes back, yeah, because they're wearing themselves out every day. I got to do for them. I got to do for them. And they never look to think, you know what? I need a bath, or I need to go for a walk, or I need to, you know, run away and go to a movie for two hours just. To so I could quiet my mind or whatever it is. We don't take the time to do that. It's kind of, you know, it's scary. Like all of these things, again, like people are listening going, well, that makes sense. But then we go right back to I have to be the caregiver. I can't take care of myself. I have to take care of the other person. So, again, it's a a lot of thinking, right? (laughs) Well, it is. But I can give you one major theme that would help unlock that. Cool. when When people come in and... And I want to introduce this paradigm. It's a new paradigm of thinking. It's definitely a new paradigm of doing therapy. It's 180 degrees from how we've been conditioned to think about ourselves and reality in general. And so I will always get resistance initially. There will always be some resistance. And the resistance is coming from fear. And so the fear fundamentally comes from the fact that I'm asking people to let go of the belief that their experience is being determined by the other. And it, and that's intuitively going to rub people the wrong way because that's how they've been conditioned to believe is that, you know, the the alcoholic spouse or the narcissistic boss is the reason why you're having a miserable time at home or at the office. But the fact of the matter is you've created this through your choices and you can have a very different experience if you start to understand that your experience is not dependent on the other. You would think people would be lining up to have that experience, but in fact the opposite is true because people are very invested without realizing it in the need to uh, identify that why they're not getting their needs met is because of something outside of them. And it's, I think it's also, Kate, isn't it easier to blame somebody else than actually self-reflect and look within to see what I'm causing for myself? It's easier to say, oh, Correct. that was their fault. Yes. Correct. And that's where I get my biggest pushback initially. 
yeah, I, when I, over, over time I can get people to sort of try out different things to exercise and, 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 and sort of challenge their fears and eventually people end up having very different experiences and their lives change. Sure. I would think dramatically. We have to take a break. When we come back, you know, speaking of fear, because I, I think a lot of how us humans respond is through fear, right? Because that's a pretty darn strong emotion. Can you give us an example of how to kind of peel back that fear and look at it and maybe move through it? Is that possible to do? Absolutely. Awesome. Let's take a break and then we'll, we'll talk about that because I think some how-tos are always really, really helpful and resonate with people, right? So, quick break. A speaker has little value to an audience unless you, the listener, is motivated and empowered to change. Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates is a renowned speaker and is an architect of change. Consultations, trainings, seminars, and speaking engagements are the venues where she affects change. Whether your responsibilities include customer service, sales, marketing, training, executive management, or ownership, and you are seeking change in your organization, then you need to hire Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Connie doesn't just fill your ears with rhetoric. She speaks to the heart and success of your business. So next time you need to hire a speaker, don't hire someone that just talks. Hire an architect of change, Connie Whitman. Just ask for Connie by calling 732-888-1420. That's 732-888-1420. Or email Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. We are back. We are speaking with Kate O'Connell, and we're talking about her new book, Beyond the Imprint. And it's really, um, it's almost a therapist guide as well as the individual being being a therapist for self, right, who's looking to change um, their own thinking. So we, we just spoke about before the break, Kate, that fear kind of drives us and makes us blame and deflect, and it's hard for us to look within, and you get pushback from people. So what are some of the tips or a tip that you give folks on how to deal with fear so that they could start to open their eyes and change their reality? Right. So, you know, one of the things that I had identified earlier in our conversation is that these imprints, which is memory at Mm -hmm. the cellular level that's being encoded in the 50 trillion cells of our body, are flash frozen in the frequency of fear at the time that the incident occurred uh, through earlier stages of development. So fear is always going to be the response to stimulus that shows up in the environment that triggers those memories. And then the response is usually a defensive response that's either anger or something akin to that. So what I train people to do is just to start to become aware of the moment in which they are actually triggered. And you know that you're triggered when your adrenals become activated and you go into the fight or flight mode. And if you don't pick up initially on when the adrenals are activated, it's when you start to defend yourself. So by hitting the pause button in response to whatever stimulus happens in the environment, such as the person cutting you off in traffic, Mm -hmm. and choosing consciously to not have a response starts to create space between the stimulus and the response. And in training yourself to do that, 
then you do not reinforce the imprint. And the more you're able to train yourself to not have a response until you know that you can have a very neutral response, then you start to change literally the memory that's encoded in the cells of your body. And I also ask people to not judge that they, are, that they do become fearful. Like these defense mechanisms that we've had and carried with us forever are there to ensure that we stay on the planet. So we don't judge anything. We just recognize that everything that we've done in our lives make perfect sense when you start to understand all the ways that we've been imprinted and conditioned and that as we're starting to try to sort of wake up from what we've been at the effect of unconsciously, we want to just be able to accept that all of how we've chosen to defend ourselves is appropriate. And once we become aware of how we're engaged unconsciously in these defense mechanisms, um, then we can start to dissolve the imprinting and we can start to have a very different response to what's in our environment. So it's a kind. It, there's really several steps because by by pausing and stopping and thinking, how should I react to the guy that just cut me off? Instead of you know flipping them the bird or getting angry and screaming, and now I'm holding my steering wheel, you know, making my knuckles white. Right. I pause. I stop. I think, and 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 can I actually have a choice of how I want to respond. So I'm creating a new habit, which will in turn change my cellular. Um, imprinting. Did I get that right? Right, because, it does, because your non-response does not reinforce the imprint. So mm -hmm. now we've created the opportunity that over time, as you continue to practice this in response to other stimulus, that your imprinting will begin to dissolve. And, and does, I would think that as we do this, as we practice, like you just said, watch that your adrenaline kind of goes up and that fight or flight kicks in, I would think that you become more aware quicker each time you take control and just pause, really it's just pausing and saying, uh-oh, and now what do I want to do? What do I really want to do? How do I choose to respond? The more you do that, I would think it becomes like a muscle memory thing, right? Well, right. Plus, you're being trained to become the observer of your own experience, which is absolutely critical in increasing your awareness around how you move through the world in your relationships and how you respond to them. So the first thing that happens when people have been working with me for a couple of weeks and they're starting to get a hang of what we're doing is they know that when they come to sit with me, the first question that I have is, what are you noticing? I want them to start to understand that they want to be noticing differences in their experience because mm -hmm. their response to what's showing up is different. And when you start to ask people, what are you noticing, it's amazing what starts to happen. They just they start to become the observers of their experience. They're excited about the changes that are happening in their life because at the quantum level, what they also start to recognize is when they change, everything outside of them changes, including the, the boss that is difficult and the spouse who is not paying attention and any other narrative. You there? Hmm. Kate? Yeah, I just lost you. I don't know what happened. Sorry. Wow. That was weird. Go ahead. So the, you, you were saying that the boss or your the husband responds yeah. to you differently. Yeah, everything outside of you will change, and quantum physics is showing that. And, you know, there was a recent article that I just read. It's really quite amazing. 
where we where what they did was they isolated an individual's DNA in one room and they had a donor in another room and then they stimulated the individual donor to have different emotional responses and when and at the same time that they were having their emotional responses the DNA if it was a negative response a fear-based response it it, it constricted it shortened and when it was a loving and, and fearless response it expanded and then what they did was then they took the DNA and they they exposed it to photons which is you know the measurement of light and photons are typically random so photons are what you would find in the environment and then in response to whether or not the individual was having a fear-based response or a loving expansive response the photons changed so you know at this at again we're now with science able to actually measure that this is true this is not just you know sort of self-help made up stuff in the moment that just feels good to talk about it's actually true that your environment will continuously reflect back to you what it is you're carrying within you on even at the deepest unconscious levels in terms of beliefs and what your emotional field is experiencing so how you feel about what you're experiencing is the most critical piece how you feel about yourself and how you feel about your relationships and what it is you're doing is the most critical piece and it's interesting because you said a couple of things also I think as we change ourselves or as we start to pause and view right as the observer and it just gives us more control literally over our lives um, and control to change it to make more choices to, to change hopefully for the better we create harmony and flow we have the control within us right so what we think feel how we change creates that change the change or the um, uh, alternatives outside of us the other thing you said is not to judge ourselves and I was I giggled but I was trying not to giggle too loud as you were speaking but because I didn't think it was funny what you were saying I, I thought hmm I know I judge myself very critically and when you make that mistake you go oh I just did it again I'm working on that what right. and we beat ourselves up for something we're working on instead of truly just right. causing that you're judging yourself and then you're being critical of the fact that you're judging yourself yeah and so that's a big piece because we're all carrying very very deep shame-based belief systems about ourselves and that's just something that starts to happen from the moment that we're born and we take in at the deepest levels from our environment that you know there's something that's not okay with us because we're taking in stimulus from the environment so anything that's going on in the environment that does not feel safe will be taken in at the very deepest personal level it's not being processed through the brain it's just being taken in at the right. cellular level and yeah. so we're all carrying this within us and then we're all guarding ourselves um, in order to ensure that we don't connect to the fact that this is how we really feel about ourselves so all of that gets explored and it also comes into the light so that we can actually acknowledge it and the key that I've described in the book when you get to the chapter on grief is when you peel everything away everything that we've been talking about today what we come to is we come to grief and the unresolved grief that we are carrying within us uh, on the subject of the fact that none of us would have written our lives the way they unfolded 
So we have tremendous loss that we're carrying within us, the loss of potential, of relationships, of what we thought was going to happen to us when we were young and we were trying to identify what we wanted to be when we grew up. Nothing unfolded according to what was expected. It never does. And so we carry tremendous grief. And so grieving, being able to grieve, being able to release that is a key part of this healing. It, it's funny you say that. I remember when I turned 30 years old. And how funny is this? 30 years old. I'm now I'm going to be 56, right? But 30 years old, and I wasn't married. I was in the process of literally getting married within two months after my 30th birthday. I was almost completing my MBA, right? I was. I had that May. We got I had my birthdays in November. I was getting completing my MBA, but because I wasn't married and I didn't have 2.3 children by the age of 26, that 30 age. I became so depressed, and I'm not a type that gets depressed, and I was like, I am a failure, I haven't accomplished, think about that, I was 30, like, what a, when I look back now, I'm like, what a moron, but at right. the time, no, but it's what a great description of being at the effect of the collective conditioning within yep. the dualistic paradigm, because Without realizing it, we are programmed from the very beginning as to what it means to be successful. And we're being programmed and conditioned by people who are coming from their unresolved unconscious imprinting. And parents, despite how well-intentioned we are, are always projecting onto our children our unresolved stuff because and asking them to have a better experience than we did and to not suffer as much as we did. And that's unrealistic. And so, you know, there's a lot of, lot of discussion that happens in our sessions around this on the ability to let go and to accept that everything has unfolded perfectly as painful as it might look or have been and um, that we're on a journey, and the journey is about self-awareness and awakening and self-actualization, and this modality is the piece in the clinical framework that can help people get there. And I agree 100%, and I mean, all these examples, as you're saying things, things are popping into my head, right? I'm giving you clear examples, and now... As a 56-year-old looking at that 30-year-old reaction, because I was 30, I didn't have these additional 26 years of experience to kind of zoom out and say, honey, you're 30. You still got a long way to go. For me, I I was a failure because, you know, I wasn't married. And the funny thing is people looked at me as, oh, my God, she's so successful. She can have her MBA. She's got a great career. You know, she's making great money at the age of 29. And yet for me... I wasn't married and didn't have kids. I was the ultimate failure. So how we, right. we, we talk ourselves into ridiculous stuff. And, 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 oh, by the way, you know, the past 26 years, oh, I've done more things like that, right? <laughs> right, sure. And we will until we now start to have an understanding of what's actually playing out in our belief systems. And we start to give ourselves permission to think differently about ourselves. And to not have to conform anymore to the conditioning that we don't even realize that we've been conditioned by. Absolutely. And you know what I've learned too, Kate? I'm liking my crazy. My crazy's okay, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, what is normal? I mean, I, on my clinical website, on the home page, you're going to see my essay on normal. Like, you know, that's a very dangerous concept. Because it is. Because it's a very narrow bandwidth that's been determined by the collective 
And it's being used right now to medicate our children because if they do not conform to that narrowing bandwidth of what normal is supposed to be, then we medicate them. And the one thing that I've understood over the last eight years is because it's my favorite demographic to work with is adolescents. And 90% of therapists refuse to work with adolescents because their unresolved imprinting is getting triggered by them, (laughs) is that this particular modality... It, is it so effective with them because they're so hungry to learn this information and it, it really resonates with them. It's like for the first time when they sit with me, it's like they're being affirmed and acknowledged. And you can change so much so quickly at this age because their conditioning has not been as great as someone who's in their 40s or 50s. Sure. Yeah, they're easier to teach because they're not so married to those beliefs. Like, you know, at 56 now, right, I have some deep-rooted stuff going on, whereas if you're 10, yeah. Right, and their developmental age is all about being in opposition to the conditioning. So they are hungry for this information, and and it empowers them because we take this all apart and we give them a very different narrative on the subject of what does it mean to be successful. The definition Mm -hmm. in my belief and in this modality is that being successful is being able to discover who you are and what it is that that excites you and has you coming into alignment with yourself. And it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with any kind of external control mechanisms or, or beliefs. So if being successful is graduating from high school and then traveling around the world, go for it. Like if that's what lights you up like a Christmas tree, then that's what you need to do. You need to give yourself permission to follow what lights you up like a Christmas tree and not what lights up somebody else. Absolutely. Our own harmony and flow, right, with the universe is really, really important. And that's where happiness and true success comes from, right? Again, again, so deep-rooted at the cellular level. We're out of time, but I I have have one more question. Um, I'm just intrigued because I think, and especially your passion with kids, I always say when, when I don't have to work anymore, although what I do for a living is not work to me, it's just so much fun, but when I when I don't need to earn an income to pay for college and all those things, I always tell my husband, I don't know, when I'm old and I'm going to go and play with kids, it'll keep me young. I got a lot to teach these kids. I said, but there's so much fun because I don't think kids have hidden agendas. So I totally get your passion when it comes to children because they're, number one, they're our future, but we can learn so much from their pure innocence and, and um, humor. Spontaneity. Yes, and their, but also their ability to um, be honest and just look at things from a child's perspective without all of the limiting beliefs that we've put on or we've learned through school or reading or our parents and whatever it is. Um, yes. This is my, my last question, Kate. I know that you are a therapist right in, in uh, Virginia, right? You're in Virginia. Um, yes. Do you work with people through Skype, or is that too weird for your type of work? No, it's not. I I typically like to keep to the phone when I'm doing long-distance work, and the reason is is because when there it, there's a very different experience when I'm sitting with people and when I have people on a screen. So um, it's almost like when they're on a screen, I'm more distracted 
and oh. I'm not getting a really, I'm not able to get a really true read because I'm assessing people on every level, including, and the least of not which is energetically. So mm. I'm always looking to be able to assess the areas in which the person is split. In other words, whatever's coming out of their mouth is not aligned with what's really being felt and what's really being experienced. And and being an empath, I can pick that up much more quickly. If I'm not in, in their presence, I can pick it up on the phone better than Skype, I've noticed. Yeah, is that, see, again, that's your strengths, right, and how you can um, right. look at a situation. So that's wonderful. Um, I want to give everybody your website. If you are intrigued as, as much as I am, go to Kate's website. It's www.oconnellkate.com, and it's O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L. K-A-T-E.com. Also, Kate it has, is very active and passionate about a non-for-profit. Um, c- can you give the name of it really quick, and then I'll also post that website on the Architect of Change platform. Great, yes. It's called the Healing Alliance of Central Virginia, and the website is H-A-C-V-A.org. And it's been created to further develop this modality as an educational and health platform and take it to as far and as wide as it's able to go um, in order to change people's lives. I love it. I think that's amazing. And also, uh, if you want more hands-on, obviously check out Kate's website and speak with her, but you could go to Amazon and buy her book, Beyond the Imprint, which kind of breaks all of this down and gives a lot of how-to tools, Kate, right, on on how to, uh, to peel back our own onion, so to speak, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then there's also going to be a companion piece to this called Getting Beyond the Imprint, which is the didactic piece that's going to be used to train therapists how to work with people using this modality. Awesome, awesome. What great tools. That's not going to be out until 2018. Very cool, though. These great tools for all of us and for therapists to use as well. So thank you for that. Thank you for your time. And you guys, if you want... Uh, to reach out to me directly, you can reach me at Connie at WhitmanAssos.com. Again, share your stories. If there's topics you'd like me to uh, share, I'll, I will find an expert. Trust me. Um, so just reach out to me at Connie at WhitmanAssos.com. Uh, Kate, thank you again for just being a lovely guest and for, like, I feel very enlightened right now, but things make sense, and I just love your tip about kind of pausing, not judging, and choosing how to move forward. So thank you for that uh, that tip. I think it'll be very useful useful for all of us. Thanks so much. I was uh, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Yeah, as did I. Thank you again. And I hope you guys will join me weekly as we question, build, and discover together how to grow and challenge ourselves so we all embrace change and realize that it's easier than we think. And try Kate's tool out that we talked about today uh, to start to reframe how you respond to things. Thanks for joining me. You've been listening to Architect of Change with me, your host, Connie Whitman, on webtalkradio.net. Thanks, everyone. Have an inspired week. You've been listening to The Architect of Change with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Thank you for tuning in. We're glad you were here. Time may change me, but I can't.